I'd like to welcome you, if you're joining us, through Facebook. I pray the Lord richly blesses you in the study of His Word, or those who are joining us through podcasts or YouTube. And uh, as far as reaching as the Lord chooses to spread His Word out, we, we pray for the blessing to do it. Acts chapter 21. Last week we looked at Paul arrives at Jerusalem. This week we're going to look at Paul's arrest at Jerusalem. And as we look at, now we're going to be going through a lot of verses tonight, so we won't read them all here at the beginning. But as we study this portion of Scripture, I want us to keep a thought in mind that'll help us. The thought is, is how can we take and be a positive, have a positive testimony in a negative situation? How can we have a positive testimony in a negative situation? It is a mindset. So if you really stop and think about it, it's, it's the mindset which you have. We saw Paul last week, the humility which Paul had. Remember we talked about how Paul had humility and the success which God gave him, and yet he had humility and also the slander which men had given him. We're going to continue to see Paul's humility through chapter 21, and we're going to go into chapter 22. But one of the things we notice about Paul is this humility that he was, in no way was he going to besmirch his testimony or want to hurt the church of the Lord by acting out. Not becoming what he needs to be to be a testimony to bring glory to God in a bad situation. So what would it take to have a good testimony in a bad circumstance or in a negative circumstance? And I got thinking about that in all the ways. Maybe in the past I've had a negative circumstance. Was, was I, did I have a positive testimony? Did I bring glory to the Lord in that circumstance? And, and moving forward, I got to thinking about those Nigerians and the school. If there are 5,000 martyrs a year in Nigeria and the New Covenant College is reaching thousands of those Nigerians, we're connected with the school. So if we ever have ourselves a negative situation, what is our positive testimony? How would we get in that mindset? But let's look at a couple verses and look back at Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Here's, here was the attitude that we see of Paul. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Look at chapter 21. 
verse 13. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not only or to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul's goal in this, in his, we saw last week that there were people who were falsely accusing him of hating in verse 28 of chapter, uh, the same chapter of chapter 21. Look at verse 28. These false accusers of Paul it says they were crying out, men of Israel, help, this is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place. And further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen before with him in the city of, Troph- in the city of Trophimus an Ephesian. So they saw before in Jerusalem this Greek, this Ephesian, Trophimus, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And we talked last week about jumping to conclusions. And really this is a continuation of a lot of what we were discussing Last week, but in verse 30, all the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith the doors were shut. And look at verse 31. And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we, we thank you for your forgiveness of sins and Father, how you purged us from our condemnation and brought us to life through your Son. Father, may we magnify, glorify him. Father, for thou art worthy. He is worthy to lift up. Father, as tonight as we study your word, we pray that you will just enrich your word in our hearts where we may bring you glory. Teach us, Father, the, through thy Holy Spirit to not count ourselves our lives here dear unto ourselves. But, Father, that we know, Lord, that whatever is in your will to use us in this short life to bring you glory, Father, that is what we pray for is your will to be done in heaven as it is on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Paul was ready not only to be bound, but to also die. Now, there was a little bit of a difference, though, with Paul as we see him, and we're going to see this as we go, the humility that he had that these people who came and got him, who were beating him and wanted to kill him, look at verse 20 of chapter 21. Who are these Jews? And when they heard it, we're talking about the elders at Jerusalem, about Paul's report, They glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. Remember, last week we saw that word zealous, and it's in the noun form. What it means is zealots. These were Jewish zealots who had got Paul, grabbed Paul in verse 30 and verse 31, and in verse 31, and they wanted to kill him. Now, the thing about the zealots, the zealots were a lot different than the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had, you know, you had to go through a judiciary. You you had to go through a trial. 
And even then, when you were scourged or beaten with the Sadducees, the Jewish law was 40 stripes save one. They can only get you 39 times, right? So, but the zealots, they did not need these laws. And more than that, it says this beating he took uh, in verse, let's look at verse 32 and we'll come back. Who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. That beating in the, the, what the zealots did was called a rebel's beating. Paul had a rebel's beating. And a rebel's beating was something that they did without mercy. And they were trying to kill him by beating Paul to death. And so we know that verse 31, after this, we saw that the chief captain... Now, the chief captain, Luke refers to, if you look back to verse 20, or chapter 23, look at chapter 23, verse 26. This chief captain has a name. So this chief captain is going to be sticking with Paul for a while. So it's good for us to put a name to the chief captain of the Roman guard here. In chapter 23, verse 26, his name is Claudius Lysias. Claudius Lysias, and he's writing to Felix a letter. So Claudius, so you will hear me uh, refer to him as Lysias. So back in verse 31, the chief captain of the band is Claudius Lysias, and he saw that Jerusalem was in an uproar. His responsibility was to keep things peaceful. As a Roman chief captain, um, the idea was to keep everything peaceful in verse 32 who immediately took soldiers and centurions there were a lot of soldiers centurions means hundreds right and ran down unto them and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers they left beating of Paul the the zealots had left the beating of Paul verse 33 then the chief captain Lysias came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Now, there's really two things that we can see here. If he bound them, he bound Paul with two chains, both to satisfy this, you know, the, the uproar of the Jews that was, was happening here. But if you also take notice of Agabus' prophecy, what was, remember Agabus' prophecy, how he took the belt of Paul, and Agabus bound his hands and his feet. And he goes, whoever this belt belongs to will be bound in Jerusalem. And, you know, that was another thing that we know about Paul. Is Paul knew that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to suffer. And so Paul didn't count his life, this life now dear unto himself. Um, what does Jesus say? If thou shalt lose thy life, if the, you shall lose your life, or no, I'm sorry, if you shall save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for my name's sake, you shall find it. And so that the, we see the attitude that we are to have as God's people. As, you know, our investments aren't here, our anchor's not here, we're just passing through. And I got to thinking about that. The, those who had the frontier had went down, you know, had went to to California, 
the old pioneers who went to California, you know, they didn't stop in Kansas and Iowa and Nebraska and, you know, they didn't stop. They were going. They had a goal in mind. But they were alive wherever they were at that time in that place. But they did not consider where they were as home. They had a place to go. So Paul knew that. Paul said, you know, and Jesus said, if you seek to save your life right now, you will lose it. You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, that means, like Paul's attitude, I count not my, my own life dear unto myself. You know, as, as human beings, it's our instinct for self-preservation. It, it, <laughs> I don't like pain. I don't know if you all like pain, but our instinct self-preservation at all costs. Now, we're not to just neglect and, and everything like that. The Lord put, you know, a brain in our head and, and we can think what's dangerous for us. We don't want to do that. And, but we also know that this lesson is very, it's wonderful to see Paul go through this. I mean, could you imagine being beaten to death? For or almost to death, as Paul was, for what he was teaching, what he was preaching. And here's the thing about Paul. Paul was not standing there and taking this beating and taking all of this abuse, taking the false accusations that just filled the city that he was a Jew and a Moses hater, what he, we saw that he humbly had went into a public demonstration of purity to, to hopefully show the Jews that Paul was not someone who hated the temple and the Jews. But we also see that Paul does not open his mouth in retaliation and swearing. And he does not. He, and, and, and it's not like he is standing there as a brick wall either, just taking it for the name, for, for what he believes. But Paul has a heart of love. Paul has a purpose. And we're going to get ready to see that, that Paul has an opportunity here. And so he has a testimony. Trust was the means that Paul, love was, was the means that Paul put himself in harm's way. Paul knew he was going to suffer going to Jerusalem, but yet he went. He had an offering to deliver to God's people, and he wanted to bring together the Jews and the Gentiles in the church so that God could be glorified in the church. He had a heart to spread the gospel. He had a heart to preach the gospel of grace. His heart was of love. If you're with us on Romans, he loved his brethren according to the flesh, didn't he? He loves his countrymen. Romans chapter 9, verse 1, he said, I wish that myself could be accursed from Christ. Not that that could ever happen. And then in chapter 10, verse 1 of Romans, he goes, my desire, my heart's desire is that Israel will be saved. It was love that drove the the motivator to go to Jerusalem, but it was trust in God, and it was the Holy Spirit which produced the peace of God in his trials, in his suffering that we see here. 
So, in verse 34, we see that Lysias had asked, what's going on? He bound them up. In verse 34, And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. Now the castle was a tower there at the temple. And uh, Herod had repurposed this tower to be kind of a garrison for the guards. And so it wasn't inside the inner courts. It was in the outer where Gentiles could be. And so that's what the castle here is. But we also notice that, look at the, uh, once again, this is word for word the same thing we read about the Ephesus riot. You remember when we looked at the Ephesus riot? That some cried one thing, some another. The Ephesus riot, if you remember, they went into the, that big amphitheater, the whole city, thousands of them. And they, they didn't know why they were there. They just knew that this is where the mob's going. And you know what? I'm hating whatever they're hating, so let's go, yeah. And that's the same thing here. You know, and I got, I got to thinking, you know, I, I bet you the people who started this rumor, either it was either them jumping to conclusions or it was just a downright out lie. We know they wanted to discredit Paul. The Jewish zealots wanted to discredit Paul with the believers of the Jerusalem church there and to weaken the evangelism that was going on in Jerusalem by saying, oh, this Christian, this way, hates Moses, hates us, hates the law, hates everything. Um, and so, as we, we see that Paul is going into this, and in the Ephesus, with the riot, he didn't say anything, but it, it quickly dissolved. Here, we have another mob, and I bet you the people who started this, they kind of, once they got everybody riled up, and once they got Paul, and once they started beating them, they probably just started stepping back, took off, because they had no evidence to substantiate the claim which they made against Paul. They just got a whole lot of people stirred up and mad. And that is a mob mentality. The mob mentality, listen to this, it's actually, if you, if you I don't, follow psychology, but uh, it is a term in psychology. It's a real science. A mob mentality is a real science. The, a dog may bark at you, but it's more likely that a pack will attack you. One dog may bark at you, but you got a whole pack. They're going to attack you. And it's the group mentality. There's something called the contagion theory. With, with a mob, Con, where you get contagious. The contagion theory is crowds will exert a hypnotic influence on their members that results in irrational and emotionally charged behavior, often referred to as crowd frenzy. So there's something that they have discovered as contagion theory. When you get in a group, there is a hypnotic influence in this group. It makes you lose your mind and just go crazy and just start doing things you would never do on your own. Now, not all groups are violent. We know that there are groups that are peaceful, but if, if you think about one spark 
can ignite the whole thing into violence. You never hear about a violent mob becoming peaceful. <laughs> you only hear about a peaceful mob becoming violent. And that's the mob mentality. So that, that is what we see here that Paul is dealing with. And it's just you've got to throw your hands up in the air. Say, Lord, I trust you. I, I'm not going to be able to go to every one of these thousand peoples and correct their assumptions about me. It's just like an uncontrollable way, but God's in control. It may be out of my control, but we know God's in control. So the, the one takeaway is let us not jump on the jump to conclusion wagons because they are typically going the wrong way and they're out of control. You've got a lot of jump to conclusion wagons out there. You start hearing things, start hearing chatter, start hearing this, and it's meant to rile you up. And you join this group and all, you've lost your mind. You've lost your reasoning. And uh, because of this contagion, and it, it certainly is there. So, Lysias still does not know why, Paul, why are they doing this to Paul? Because they can't tell him. In verse 35, and when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers, he had to be lifted by the soldiers for the violence of the people. The people were so frenzied to get at him. And what they say? For the multitude of the people followed after, crying away with him. Kill him. Now, verse 37, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 22, verse 21. Uh, hopefully we get to verse 29 of chapter 22 tonight. So we're going to keep reading here. We're going to see Paul's defense. So we saw Paul's arrest. And we see the attitude of Paul. But we're really going to see the attitude here next. Verse 37. And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art thou not that Egyptian which before these days made us an uproar that, and led us out into the wilderness? Four thousand men that were murderers. Now, here's another misconception Paul's dealing with. This is the second misconception. Not only did the Jews misunderstand him, but the Romans misunderstood him right here. Now, this Egyptian that he's talking about here uh, Josephus, uh, a Bible historian, um, he writes about this Egyptian that came to Jerusalem. He said that he was a prophet. He came from Egypt, and he came to Jerusalem. Well, he came from Egypt to Jerusalem. He said he was a prophet. He was deceiving the people. He persuaded the people to follow him to the Mount of Olives, where, they, where he said that he would bring down the walls of Jerusalem and that they can march in and take it over from Rome. Now, um, at that time, Felix, the Roman governor, we're getting ready to run into Felix again here, but Felix ran upon them. Felix killed 400 of this Egyptian false prophet's followers, killed 400, took 200 prisoners, but the Egyptian false prophet escaped. And... That is why we believe that here Lysias just assumed you got all these Jews in an uproar. 
Maybe this is this Egyptian prophet who's come back wanting to stir up trouble. But Paul corrects him in verse 39. But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus. First of all, I'm not Egyptian. I'm a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. So Tarsus of Cilicia was known to be a cultural city, a very educational city. So that's why, I mean, it's also Greek city. So therefore, Paul, that's why he knew Greek. He says, thou knowest Greek. Uh, we think that Paul at least knew three languages, the Hebrew, the Greek, and Aramaic. Uh, that's at least three that we know of. And so we see that he is telling, I know there's no way I came from Egypt. I came from this sophisticated city. I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Um, in verse 40, And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, Now picture this for just a minute. And I love to, to do this. I love the picture. Before I keep going, I love to be there. I want to be there. So I'm picturing Paul, who just was almost beat to death. His desire was not to stay safe. I'm not going back out there. You keep me safe. I mean, the guards had to pull him and hold him and take him because of the people were just at a foaming mouth frenzy to kill him. Paul's desire here was not for self-preservation. Paul's desire was here's another opportunity to share the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who I love. Not, it wasn't a message of what they wanted to hear. It was a message of what they need to hear. At all costs, they need to hear this, this message. It's the message of eternal life. It, and he knew. I remember Paul, he was one of these zealots. He did have, he was way, I mean, he was the Pharisee of the Pharisee. He knew the zeal which they had towards God, but not according to knowledge. He knew the, the, the righteousness they were hoping to gain by, uh, by their own righteousness, and he knew that they were not submitting to the righteousness of God. So his desire was for them to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. It wasn't self-preservation. It wasn't comfort. Now, we see from this point on, all the way to the end of Acts, it's thought to be that the year is 60 A.D., right here. Acts ends around 62 A.D. Uh, Acts is going to end with Paul still being a prisoner. For the rest of Acts, Paul's going to be a prisoner. But we see that that did not squelch his ministry. Paul referred to himself as the ambassador in bonds. You remember in Ephesians how he wrote four letters while he was in prison. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And so we see that the, the word of God was not bound. Paul was bound, but the word of God was not bound. And around, we know that Paul was martyred. We're, we're not, it's not told in the word of God how he was martyred. We go through history. We, we go through uh, 
uh, just different histories, different martyr books. And we know we think that Paul was beheaded because uh, he was a Greek. We know Peter was crucified. Peter was a Jew, but that Rome had beheaded Paul as a Greek. Um, so Paul was beheaded around 67 to 68 A.D. And it was under the reign of Nero. Paul did not see the destruction of Jerusalem. Which, okay, a little side note, I meant to get to this earlier. The zealots, the same zealots, probably the same zealots that are here uh, rushing and getting Paul and beating him to death, these zealots wanted to overthrow Roman law. They just wanted to kick Rome out of Jerusalem. And they, they were militants, and it was a very heavy-duty political party. Uh, Josephus writes of the three sects of the, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. And he said there's a fourth group called the Zealots. And in about 70 A.D., or no, I'm sorry, 68 A.D., there was the great Zealots, uh, this great, I forgot what it was called. You, you all may know the exact term. Um, let me find it here. I, I don't want to... Uh, well, maybe I can't find it, but it was the great zealot, the Jew, okay, the great Jewish revolt was in 66 AD. The zealots actually overtook Jerusalem. They, they did what they wanted to do, but the revolt was ultimately unsuccessful. And what happened? Rome burnt Jerusalem in 70 AD. They destroyed it. The zealots had taken over Jerusalem kicked Rome out. What did Rome do? They burned the entire city. They burned the temple. Not one stone was left upon the other. And so that's just kind of interesting. These same zealots after Paul were probably the same zealots that led this, this campaign uh, and ultimately ended up in the burning of Jerusalem. But in verse 1 of chapter 22 we see Paul address the people. Men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. So here's Paul's testimony. Remember what our question was. How do you have a good testimony in a bad circumstance, in a negative circumstance? And he says, verse 2, And when they heard that, he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he saith, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, Yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye all are this day. Real quickly, he addresses all the accusations that they made against him right there, didn't he? Except he, he didn't get a chance to talk about the Gentile in the, the, the temple, which he didn't bring the Gentile in the temple. But he answers the question here, if you were raised at the feet of Gamaliel, you weren't just some ordinary Jew. You were a, the Hebrew of the Hebrew. You were an elite. You were a Pharisee. So them accusing him of hating the Jews, hating the temple, hating Moses. Look, guys, I was elite. I, it's, I'm surprised they really didn't recognize Paul. The, well, I mean, it's been a few years. <laughs> it's been many years. And he goes on and he gives us his testimony. And I persecuted this way into the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, 
which the high priest at that time was either Annas or Caiaphas, and all the estate of the elders, which are the Sanhedrin, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me. And I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. Just real quickly, in verse 6, he makes mention that it was noon. In the earlier account, which we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, he doesn't mention it was noon. He mentioned it was midday. But I believe the emphasis here we see that even in the high noon sun, the glory which the glory of the light which Paul saw was no normal light. It was a glorious light. Even during noon, it was bright. And he says he fell into the ground. Not just him, but those who were accompanying with him. We don't have time to go all the way back to 9. Chapter 9 and look at and kind of compare and contrast, so I'll just tell you. And he heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, I answered, who art thou, Lord? Now notice Jesus' question. Jesus didn't ask, Paul, why are you persecuting the church that's meeting in my name? What did he ask Paul? Why did, what did he ask? Why are you persecuting me? To persecute one of God's own is to persecute God. It's to persecute Jesus. Remember what it says that the, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus, at the end of time, and he's separating his sheep from his goats, and his sheep are on his right hand, and he looks to his sheep and he says, Blessed art thou, you clothed me when I was naked, you gave me water when I thirsted, you fed me when I was hungry, you visited me when I was sick, and you came to me when I was in prison. And the righteous will say, Lord, when did we do any of those things? Well, we didn't do those to, to you personally. And Jesus says, if you do this to the least of my brethren, you've also done it unto me. Then he looks to his left hand and looks at the goats. And he says the opposite. You did not clothe me when I was naked. You did not give me water when I thirsted. You did not give me food when I was hungry. And you did not come to me when I was sick. And they're like, Lord, how can you accuse us of that? If you've not done it to the least of my brethren, you've not done it unto him. When you persecute the Lord's people, you persecute him. And this was Jesus' direct question to Paul. Why persecutest thou me? And that's something as God's people that helps settle you that helps settle any kind of fear or anxiety you have of what men can do to you. It is God that they're fighting against. And we're getting ready to find out here. Paul is getting ready to preach to them the sovereignty of God. God came to me and told me what to do. Look, God came and saved me and then told me what to do. What do you suggest I do? Shouldn't I listen? Shouldn't I listen to what the Lord tells me to do? 
That's the sovereignty of God. And so he says in verse 8, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Now, something we need to immediately see, there's not a contradiction with chapter 9 and what Paul says here. In chapter 9, he, was, he said that they did hear a voice. They did hear a voice, but they did not understand. Here they said they, they did not uh, hear the voice of him. Jesus was only speaking to Paul. And only Paul could understand what Jesus was saying. That's the sovereignty of God right there. The men who were with Paul, they may have either heard Saul talking back to Jesus, that might have been the voice they heard, or they heard Jesus' voice, but they could not understand what Jesus was saying. Isn't that the way it is? As the gospel goes out, and we declare the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures and repentance and faith, the sound goes out, and all of a sudden a heart hears the Lord. All the other hearts didn't. They hear the sound, but they don't understand. They don't hear the Lord. This message was for Paul only. In verse 11, And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked upon him. And here's a big one. I love this verse 14. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one. Who's the just one? Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the Jews knew who he was, because the just one is how the Messiah is also named in the Old Testament. And shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Here's what Paul is really saying to them. Now think about this. Paul's saying, your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the God who sent me. Your issue is with God. Because God is the one who gave me this to do. Paul was not just some egotistical guy who wanted to start his own religion and fame to his name. He was doing... Paul. God came to Paul. He chose Saul. He chose him, saved him, and sent him with a message. He sent him with the message of the gospel. Paul was faithful to the message of the gospel. If someone has an issue then their issue is with God because it's God's message and you're the person that God sent. And so, really, he's laying this. I mean, imagine his defense. <laughs> imagine the defense. Paul, I, I don't even know how the man's talking, addressing this crowd, if he's beaten that badly. He's more or less saying, your issue's not with me, it's with God. Isn't that, that's bold, isn't it? That's not him saying, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It wasn't him trying to preserve his life. But God had chosen him. The, the proof of God's sovereignty is all throughout the scripture. 
John 6.44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Paul heard the voice of the Lord. In verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I wish I had a little bit more time. I didn't, it's my, I guess my own fault. I didn't give myself more time to go over this. But really quickly, in the grammar, you have to connect, wash away thy sins with calling on the name of the Lord, not being baptized. Look at that verse again. In the grammar, the way the grammar is in the original Greek, Arise and be the, and baptize and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The calling on the name of the Lord is what washed away the sins, not the baptism. Now, that word calling. By this time, we know Paul saved. When he had his conversation with Ananias, he had already been saved. What will thou have me do, Lord? Paul heard the actual voice, the man Christ Jesus' voice on the road to Damascus. He heard his voice. He saw him. So Paul was saved before this. So how can Ananias... So what's this verse about? That word calling is in the aorist tense. It's past tense. And it would be better read, having called on the name of the Lord. So if you, if you look at this verse, it's arise, get yourself baptized... Your sins were washed away, having called upon the name of the Lord. You needed, Paul hadn't been baptized yet, but he was saved. Both imperatives in this sentence reflect the reality that Paul had already called on the name of the Lord. The imperative, the past tense, the grammar, the morphology, the syntax, all of it in here is that he was not baptized in order to wash away his sins. If you're honest with the word, it, it speaks. And it's true. Verse 17, And it came to pass that when I was coming into Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. Some believe that I had been when he went up to the third heaven. Verse 18, we don't know. And went and saw him saying unto me, Jesus, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. Real quickly, in verse 18, Jesus appears to Paul and he says, you've got to get out of Jerusalem. They're not going to receive your testimony. Now they could mean the Jews and it could mean the Christians. Paul was just saved. The Jews aren't going to receive your testimony of being saved. And the believers right now are scared to death of you. So Jesus says, now we tend to believe he's talking about the Jews because Paul wants to say, Paul has a, a, a false conception that surely they'll believe. Surely they'll, I'll, I will tell them what happened to me and they will be so overwhelmed and overcome with fascination and joy that they, they knew that I persecuted you, Lord, in the name of Christ. They knew that I stood at the, the stoning of Stephen and was even consenting unto his death. 
Surely they'll believe that the Lord Jesus Christ has saved me. And Paul wanted to share that experience with Jesus so they could have that experience with Jesus. That's a heart. That's a heart for the gospel. That's a heart. You wanted to share it with others. But what what did Jesus say in verse 21? And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Um, We will continue next week in verse 22. We won't make it all the way to verse 29. But I I do want us to leave on a, a couple of thoughts. Instead of an opportunity for Paul to fight for his freedom, by any means necessary, by either lying or saying something, look, my life's at stake. I've got to do something to preserve my life. That's not what we see Paul do. He used the opportunity to speak the gospel into the crowd. That was his defense, was the gospel. Absolute trust in God. When you commit absolute trust in God, it affords us the integrity of faith in any situation. What that means is when you absolutely trust God, And we see the attitude which Paul had that I would rather lose my life for Christ than to have... I mean, if you go on, and Jesus says, you know, what is it? If if you were to to gain the whole world and lose your own soul, Paul had the right perspective of what this life was. and what he, He wasn't all about preserving it, but he saw it as an opportunity. When you trust the Lord with all your heart, then that will free you. That will free you to have a positive testimony in a negative circumstance. So if that negative circumstance comes knocking on your door tomorrow, which it may, we can have a positive testimony because we count not our own life dear unto ourselves. Paul says, I'm ready to be not only bound but die for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he didn't do it as a brick wall. He didn't do it as some kind of obstinate or some kind of uh, zealot. No, he had a heart of, I've, I've got one more opportunity. I've got one more opportunity to share the love of Christ. We as believers, we can have a positive testimony in a negative situation, just like Paul did. We trust the Lord. And we put all things in his hands. We, we see the sovereignty of God at life. In, in Paul's life, he saved him. He came and he saved a sinner. He came and he saved me. I was a sinner. I, I'm still a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. And I owe it all to him. I owe my life all to him. For what is this life? It's, you know, it says, James says it's a vapor that appeared at the little time and vanished away. It is. But this vapor of your life, you've got the wonderful opportunity to serve the Lord. He is calling you. He's called you to salvation. And he's put something in your heart in a way that you can minister to one another, love one another, a way that you can feed him. Are you feeding Jesus? Are you clothing Jesus? Are you visiting Jesus? Are you praying if you've done it to least of his brethren, you've done it unto him. Let's remember that. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time of study. Father, what wonderful words of life they are to us. 
Lord, may we just treasure them in our hearts. Father, thank you for speaking with us and through your Holy Spirit, bringing us the comfort of the Holy Spirit, bringing us the resolve in our hearts to stay stand fast in faith. Father, we, we pray for your saints who are in Nigeria who are being persecuted, they're being killed for standing upon the Lord Jesus Christ and their faith and sharing the gospel. Father, we thank you for your grace. If that ever comes into one of our lives, Father, that we may stand strong and stand fast in faith. We know that even that's by your grace. But Lord, once we, we know, Father, that we trust you and we know you're on your throne in all matters and all things, Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving those who are here tonight. Father, if there is one who is not saved under the sound of my voice, Father, you know each heart. You know the heart and what it needs. Father, we pray your grace and your mercy upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.